The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. So here's the deal. We've been walking through Romans for this season. Philippians is obviously not Romans, um, but I want to invite you to open with me to, to the book of Philippians. As always, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you. I want to invite you to grab that one. Follow with us. You can follow with us in that one. If you're here and you do not own a Bible, again, as always, it is our privilege and joy to be able to give you that one. So find one around you. You can take it with you. You don't even need to to tell us it's a privilege that we get to do that. Um, so, like I said, we're going to be in Philippians, not Romans, and uh, there's a couple reasons for that. First of all, believe it or not, um, Advent is coming and begins next Sunday. It's just in- unbelievable that we are already here. Uh, but during Advent, each and every year, we take a, a moment, we pause from the book that we're walking through, the text we're walking through, to um, focus our hearts on Advent. And uh, we, we are excited to be able to do that. And it just so happens that last week in our journey through Romans, uh, we made it through to, we were able to finish chapter 12. And here's the deal. We thought it would be a little weird to start into chapter 13 when we knew we were going to have to push the pause button and, uh, and, and wait till next year um, to pick back up. So because we landed where we did, we thought, you know what, this would be a great time for us to pause as we come into the Advent season. The second reason um, for this is, as we've said, Thanksgiving is this week, and Advent, again, coming. And if you're anything like me, whether you're ready or not, here it is. And, and if you're anything like me, there has been so many years where it's like mid-December before I said, what just happened? I, now I'm ready, but I wasn't ready for it. And, and I thought because of that, this would be such a great time for us to prepare our hearts and our minds for the week to come. And uh, my prayer, as I've been praying for this time, would my prayer has been, God, what does your word have for us? What does it have to say to us in this season of expectation, this season of thankfulness? Um, what does your word have? And I kept coming back to the text we're going to look at today. This text is one of those common texts, a well-known text, the quote all the time, put on a coffee mug, kind of Christian kitsch, kitschy sayings. This is one of them. This is one of them. Uh, this might be familiar to many of us. In fact, it's, it's been one of my favorites, but I realized I had never really studied this because it was so common. I've never taught this. I've never preached this text, and, and God just kept bringing me back to it, and I am so grateful he did. Is this has been one of those weeks that if God does nothing for anyone in this room, he has been working on me this week through this text, and I am grateful for it. Now, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, 
verse 5b through 7. Notice I did not say 6 through 7. I said 5b through 7. Um, Listen, the verse numbers in your Bible, this is extra, by the way, um, they are not, they were added later. They're not part of the inspired word of God. And um, when Paul was, in other words, when Paul was writing this letter, he didn't say, you know, verse 6. Now, verse 7, he didn't differentiate. He just said it, wrote it. And later on, these verse numbers were added much, 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 much later. We're talking like 1550 here, added later to help us, to help us find our way around to help us navigate through the Old and the New Testament. They're, they're added to be helpful as we search the Scripture. Sometimes, though, just to be totally honest, you come across you know, a text, and I just scratch my head going, why? Why would it break right there? Why would I? Now, there are scholars that are so much more brilliant than I will ever be who did this, okay? Most of the time, I just kind of default and say, you're probably right. I'm probably wrong. Um, this one, I just can't really wrap my head around why it was broken this way. And so because I get to preach, I decided to rework these numbers. And we're going to back it up one sentence, one phrase to 5B. Here's the deal. Verse 6 and 7 do not make sense apart from 5B. It just doesn't work. So because I get to one morning with this text, oh, we're bringing 5B. We're bringing 5B. So let's start with 5B. says this, the Lord is at hand. Take that one in. Like the Lord is at hand. There are two dimensions of this truth. When you think about this and you say, well, what does that mean? There are two dimensions of this. The Lord is at hand in his presence with us in his return. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near in his presence and his second coming. The foundation of what we're talking about is his nearness. Now, both near again in his presence. This means he's not far from you. He dwells here with you. He is near. He he hears us. He responds to us in relationship. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. That means his presence. Second, though, is his return, meaning he's coming again. He will return. How soon? When? That's not for you to know. What is for you to know is he's coming again. The Lord is near. His coming is near. In other words, this is Advent, by the way. This is Advent. This is that hopeful and eager expectation of Jesus coming The same way they were in eager expectation for Jesus to to come when he was born of a a virgin over 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, in the same way, here we are waiting in eager expectation. When we read this text, it says, the Lord is near, meaning he is with you and his coming is soon. The Lord is at hand. Because this is true, and with that for our foundation, says, sorry about that, says this, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious 
about anything. What a massive and difficult command that one is. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, what about, and what about, no, nothing. It's a huge command, huge command. So to unpack it, I want to first talk about, like, what is anxiety? Anxiety is this, an emotion characterized by an unpleasant state of inner turmoil. Love the verbiage of this. This isn't my words, by the way. And includes subjectively unpleasant feelings of dread over anticipated events. The key word to this, when you're thinking about anxiety, is this. Anticipated. It's a not yet thing. It's an it's a anticipation of what might happen, what might go wrong in the future. That is anxiety. It's anticipation, like we were talking about with Jesus, gone wrong. Anticipation gone to fear. It's that what-if tendency, that fear, worry, and doubt over the future. And statistically, anxiety is massive in our culture, in your community, out those doors, and maybe in these doors. Massive, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. That's a thing. Um, anxiety disorders affect 40 million U.S. adults every year. Some context, that's about 18%. That's about one in five with diagnosed anxiety in our lives. That means one out of every five people you meet average. I've been diagnosed. I've been wrestling with this, making this the most widely common illness in America. This means that if you think about it, I want you to really think about this. Of all the countercultural things that the Bible calls us to, of all of the radical things that we are called to as the people of God, of all of them, and there is a lot of them, out of all of the ways that you and I are meant to be set apart in the world but not of it, of all of the ways, this command to be anxious about nothing just might be the single most countercultural thing that you and I can do. The most radical thing that, that you and I can do. Yet, un, unfortunately, anxiety is often just as rampant in the church as it is outside of it. We can many times quote the Bible through and through. We attend church, group, live in generosity and service, share the gospel every day, and yet be completely wrecked by anxiety. What if? What if this happens? What about that? And, and what if, and, and listen, if the enemy cannot take away your future, if he can't, the second best thing he can do 
is to just get you so wrapped up in fear and anxiety that he destroys your life today. We live in, I'm going to tell you things you know. We live in a very anxious world. We just walked through um, a nasty political season. I said that in past tense. We are walking and we are in a nasty political season. We walked through a global pandemic. We are dealing with unknowns. We are dealing with strains and racial issues. We are dealing with, um, and all the politics that go along with that, our news feeds, they get more money and more clicks if they can induce anxiety in you. This is our world. Like, this is our culture. We are wrapped in this. And, and I'm not giving you a doom and gloom. What I'm trying to get you to see here is that this has marked us. It is leaving a mark on us. We are anxious. We are immersed in this day in, day out. Anxiety has become a, day of, a, a, a way of life, really. And, and we're fearful of, we can be fearful of every single what if in our lives. From our health, we're anxious about our kids and their kids, and some of us, their kids and their kids. We are anxious for our jobs and inflation, and we could fill in the blanks here. I could go on. I don't think I need to because I think we get the point. Right to that. Let me read the word of God again. Do not be anxious about anything. But what about, what about, and what about that? Do not be anxious about anything. And you can read this and say, well, Paul, you don't really understand. You don't know what I'm going through. Yes and no. No, Paul did not understand the stress of our modern world today. He didn't. However, this is called a prison epistle. Meaning that uh, this letter, things weren't peachy for Paul. His, it was unknown. He didn't know what the future was going to hold. He didn't know. He was a prisoner on account of Christ. He had no freedom. He didn't know. He had every excuse to be anxious. Every excuse to be anxious. And yet, do not be anxious about anything. This text calls us, challenges us to search our hearts and, and to, to ask, like, what are the things that I am anxious over this morning? What are the things? What are the what ifs? What are the future things out there that are here in our hearts? Because to that, do not be anxious about anything. How, though? How? I, if any one of you have ever wrestled with anxiety, um, which I have, and I got to tell you, you know one thing that's never helped me? Someone to look me in the eyes and say, stop it. It's never helped me. It's never helped. This stop it. That's never helped. And yet, we approach this text as all, our, all of our anxiety, and, and we read my words, uh, paraphrasing Paul, Stop it. 
And we, we read this and we like, what do we do? And stop it and don't be anxious. How? Well, do not be anxious is actually half of the command. It's the first part. It's the negative part. There is a ni- uh, another part that's a positive part, the inverse part of this. And we see it really clearly in our text. It says, do not be anxious about anything. You look at the next phrase, but let your request be made known to God. This is a two-sided command. Um, don't be anxious, but make your request known to God. And let me just remind you where we started. 5B, the Lord is at hand. So do not be anxious and make your request known to God. So I want to bring all this together. So the Lord is at hand. He's near. Don't be anxious, but let him know your requests. Now, for all for any grammar nerds out, out there, all you know, two of us, um, I, I want to pull out some prepositions here in this, and I want us to look at them. The first one is this, in everything. So in everything. This is the when question. Like when in everything. There is not one single situation of your life that falls outside of the scope of what Paul is talking about. In everything. When? In everything. In everything you face, in everything you go through, in every situation, in everything. Second preposition, by prayer and supplication. This answers the how. The how. Um, I have noticed that prayer is probably the thing that I've heard more people struggle with than anything else in the Christian walk. Um, I have talked with so many people, so many Christians, mature Christians, new Christians, actually many more mature Christians than even new Christians who struggle with prayer. I've talked to so many pastors who struggle with prayer, how to pray, don't even have a prayer life. I believe it is so easy to come to a text like this where we're told to bring our requests before the Lord, make it known to him, and and to think, ah, I know, but he knows them. He gets them. Like, he's the all-knowing sovereign God of the universe, and, and make known my request. He knows them. It's kind of formality. I mean, it's not that big of a deal because he knows them and he's still sovereign. So, I mean, he already knows. Um, I think for many of us, that might be at the heart of why you struggle with prayer. We've forgotten what prayer really is. See, prayer is not us calling out to our God just to inform him of the goings on down here. Earth he created just so in case he missed it. And, and to just let him know, keep him in the loop. And occasionally along with that, you know, general information, ask for something along the way. He, you know, he's good at that. But keep him in the, in the loop. And, and, and if that's prayer, church, no wonder we struggle with it. No wonder we struggle with it. That is not what prayer is. Prayer, first and foremost, is communion with God relationship with God. First and foremost, that is what it is. It's about us being with him, us resting in him. In other words, prayer is all about the nearness of God. 
that we would become more aware of his presence, that we would more and more rest in him, commune with him. That is prayer. That is prayer. And the more we understand the nearness of God, the more we pray and commune with him. Listen, there's no room for anxiety in that. So many struggle to pray, and I don't believe it should surprise us in any way that so many struggle with anxiety. Prayer and anxiety have this wacky inverse relationship, like they're on a seesaw. One goes up, another one goes down. Like, they're, they're, they're related. They're inversely related. And why is that? Well, it's not some genie in a bottle, make me less anxious, poof, you're not anxious. It's not that. Like, that's not what Scripture puts before us. What, what Scripture gets us to see here is that the more we understand and know that our God is near, that the Lord is at hand, the more we get that, the less anxiety has anything to grab onto. Inverse relationship. When we come to the Lord in prayer and know the nearness of our God, anxiety has nothing to grip. Nothing to grip, like a seesaw. One up, one down. So when do we make our requests known to our God? Well, we do that in everything, preposition number one, and, and, and in every situation. And how do we do it? How do we make our requests known to God? Well, by prayer and supplication. The third, with thanksgiving. This one's weird. Like, this one, this one's the hardest for me. For anyone who's ever struggled with anxiety, gratitude is not high up there on what you're doing when you're wrestling with anxiety. Thankfulness, gratitude, I mean, I'm anxious. The last thing I want to do is to give thanks for it. And if, if we're not careful, uh, I want to call out something, because I want to call out something this does not say. So if we're not careful, it could look like um, this text is saying, hey, if a bad thing happens to you, if a bad thing happens to you, you need to be happy about it. You need to say Thank you for that bad thing. Like, you need to be grateful for all the bad things. Listen, if anyone has told you that in the name of Jesus and said that's the Christian way to do it, I am sorry. That is not healthy. It's not realistic. It's not life in a fallen world. It is not. We live in a broken world, and in this world, we will weep. We will grieve. Things will not be the way they should be. The response to the Christian when things are not the way they should be is not to force a fake everything is awesome. Like, it's all good. Smile all the time. It's not healthy. It's killing us. It is killing us. In this world, you and I, we will grieve and we will face disappointment. Last week, in fact, we talked about vandalized shalom. We live in that. When the peace of God, the things that, the way they should be, just it isn't. But listen, that grieve and that mourning and that weeping, 
over things that are broken in our world, that is not the same thing as anxiety. I want to do my best to uncouple those two things. Um, Remember, anxiety is about what? It's about the future. The what ifs. It's the anticipation that has gone wrong. Right? It's looking ahead. Paul says, don't be anxious, but bring it to God with thanksgiving. Paul here, he's talking about the future. He's talking about us viewing the future. The thanksgiving that we can experience as Christians is the thanks that we have when we get to take off the weight of future stress and anxiety and fear. We get to take that off and put it down. That is that heaviness of the future. When we get to take that off and put it down, that's what Paul is is directing us to. In other words, the anxiety and the fear that we that we feel often for the future is not yours to wear. It's yours to bring to Jesus, give it to him, to not wear that weight anymore. And when that weight comes off, there is a gratitude. That is the thanksgiving that is in play here in this scripture. There is a gratitude in God being God and us not wearing that weight. That is the thanks. That is the thanksgiving that we see in this text. Let me give you another, just give you an example here of, of what I mean. Um, let's say you were given a report from your doctor that stopped you in your tracks. Many of us have been there. Some of us are there. In that moment, There is a sadness and there is a grief that is real that we will experience that I believe is completely and perfectly natural for us to experience as we look at this and we look at that call that we got and say, this is not the way the world should be. This is brokenness. This is brokenness. This is This is life in a fallen and sinful world, and we can mourn and we can grieve over that. Yet, if we are not careful, that perfectly natural grieving can so easily turn the corner and start marching into anxiety's territory, where we start to think, well, what if that happens then? And then what if this, and then what about that, and, and how will this impact the future? What if, what if, and all of a sudden we're spiraling down this anxiety spiral. In a situation like this, the reason I use this as an example, is this text is not saying, hey, brother, sister, when you're in that place, you need to smile, say everything is awesome, I'm awesome, I'm good, I'm happy all the time, yes. Deny, deny, deny. It's not saying that. Again, not healthy. Our call, I can give you so many scriptures, is to come to the Lord in our grief, in our sadness. Read the Psalms. To give them. We're even called to come into a community and do that together. Like we just looked at it last week. We, we, we celebrate, rejoice with those who celebrate. And what else? We weep with those who weep. We don't deny it. 
We weep with those who weep. Denial is not the Christian way. Then what, what is it? This text here calls us to put down the fear and anxiety of the unknown, the future that you don't control. We put that down, and Scripture is calling us to understand, right there, brothers and sisters, the Lord is near in his presence with you. We have hope he's coming again. He's going to make all this broken shalom. He's going to fix it. The Lord is near. He's at hand. And in his nearness, in his presence, there is no anxiety. Instead, we bring our requests to him, and it's like taking off a heavy weight of fear and anxiety. All of those what-ifs, all of the future what-if scenarios that we have playing on in our brain, we take it, we give it. We give it to him. We can take it off. The burden, we can take it off as we trust him for the future. And that is the place, church, of gratitude. That is the place here that leads us to, in that moment, say thank you. Thank you, God, that you are near. Thank you, God, that you have the future. It does not surprise you, and you've got this. Thank you, God, that you've got this, because I don't, and it's too heavy for me. Thank you. I mentioned that prayer and anxiety have this, like, wonky inverse relationship. It's even better than that, because as we come to the Lord in prayer, we're able to put down that anxiety. We get something in return. We get something in place of that, that fear. We are able to experience thankfulness because the Lord is near Don't be anxious about anything. Bring your requests to him when in everything, every situation. How? In prayer and supplication. And and let your requests be made known to him with thanksgiving. One of the things I love about the gospel is that the gospel, and what I love about the Christian life is that it's true and honest. In this world, we will face trials. We will face things that aren't the way they should be. The Bible does not say everything will be awesome all the time. No, Christian, the Bible says your God is present with you all the time. And he holds the future all the time. He's coming again. Um, You don't have to turn with me here. If you want to, you can. If you want to turn to the left to Matthew 6, you can. Um, Jesus, in the most popular sermon ever preached of all time, on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he taught about this. I couldn't help but bring it and tie it to this text. Because Jesus here says this so powerfully. He says in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink. Notice that future tense here. What's going to happen later? What you're going to eat and drink later, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather in barns. They just fly around, do their thing, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they as image bearers? Then he says, verse 27, and which of you, I love the practicalness, practicalness, one of those, of this verse. 
They both work. I think you can find them both in the dictionary. Um, Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add one single hour to his span of life? In other words, you're anxious about tomorrow. You're fearing about it. How's that working? What's it doing for you? Like, it's useless. And then Jesus says, verse 28, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the flowers, the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil, they spin. Yet I tell you, they're beautiful. Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Brothers and sisters, Imago Dei, who bear the image of God. Then he asked this question that's a bit of a stinger. You of little faith. You who are so anxious, where is your faith? Then Jesus brings it home. Therefore, verse 31, do not be anxious saying, what are we going to, what shall we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? We could expand this, by the way, to include all of those things that your mind is going to right now. All the little things, the fill in the blank. Jesus says, for the Gentiles, seek after all these things. That, that, in other words, the people who do not know God, that's how they live. That's what they do. And it makes sense that they do that because they do not know me. But because, but you, you, the, the, the Lord is near. Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things, I've got this, will be added to you. Because this is true, verse 34, therefore, I think he said this a few times now, do not be anxious about tomorrow, about the future, about the day after tomorrow, the week after tomorrow. Don't be anxious, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, meaning it doesn't need your help, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's not saying this to scare us, the doom and gloom view. This was to show us, hey, the Lord will provide. He will provide. The future is in his hands. You can trust him with all of it, and that is incredibly good news, church. Incredibly good news. And it brings us back to our text. So turn back to the right with me to Philippians, and let's hit our last verse. Because do you know what happens when we do this? When we know that the Lord is near, he's at hand, he's here. When we stop being anxious about tomorrow, but start coming to him in everything by prayer and and with thanksgiving. Here's what happens to us. Verse 7. In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, would you just rest in the verbiage of this text? The peace of God. Not yours, of God. Not our peace. Not us trying really hard to conjure up some peace. But it's God's perfect peace. The kind of peace that surpasses All of our understanding, meaning it just doesn't make sense. And how could it? We're just humans, and we're talking about a peace that comes from God himself. 
And that peace, the peace of God that doesn't make sense to the world around us in any way, and we can't even explain it to them, that peace will what? I want you to hone in with me on this part of this verse. Will guard. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. I have thought so often, I've even prayed for this. Man, it would be so great. If, if you've ever struggled with anxiety, you might have prayed the same prayer. It would be so great. God would just take it away. If I could just like, if, if all of this, if, it would be so great if I could just have like this wall, this protection from it. To have protection against the fear and against all the mess and messiness of the future. And wouldn't it be so nice to be able to just ride abo- rise above this? And yet here, hiding in plain sight, the word of God says, when you understand that God is near and you put down your anxiety for tomorrow and come to your God in everything, in prayer and with thankfulness, that the divine, miraculous, unexplainable peace of God will actually guard your hearts and your minds, that your thoughts and your emotions, guarded, protected, hearts guarded this thanksgiving this upcoming week here's my challenge i want to encourage you and challenge you to focus on this to to focus your heart on this that the lord is near that we are sheltered in the rock tethered to the anchor sheltered in him and in him there's no place for anxiety Anxiety melts away and is replaced by this sense of unexplainable peace and thankfulness. And this is how in Christ, no matter what we're facing in our lives today, no matter what, we can come to the Lord in gratitude. We can come to the Lord in thanksgiving. Um, I have three pictures that are on my wall in my office. They're all by the same artist. Um, I've actually shared one of those pictures a while ago. Uh, but this week, I was sitting in my office, and I was just, I was just wrestling in this text, and um, honestly, just overwhelmed by this. And I was just sitting here thinking, I looked over at my wall, and I saw this picture, and instantly I thought, yep, that's it. Like, that is it. That is the picture of this text, and that is the picture of my Thanksgiving week. This is a picture that's on my wall. an artist named Scott Erickson, um, and this is a work that he calls Hold, hold or, uh, yeah, hold Fast. If you're listening to this, not watching this, what you're seeing right now is a tiny boat um, in the middle of waves. And as it zooms out from the waves, you get the, the image of the shape of hands, the hands of God. And this, this picture reminds me shows me that the picture is bigger than the picture I see. So bigger than what I can see from my perspective. In this work, um, the artist, the caption under it says, this is a, a meditation on the fear of the unknown sea. The unknown future, the unknowns of life. And then he says, and the trust and kind, benevolent, unseen providence of God holding us, 
holding our tomorrow. At the bottom, this is why you can't read that. Maybe you can read it over there. But it says, do or be not afraid. Another way we could say this, church, for our time together this morning, be not anxious. Be not anxious. As we close, I want to come right back to where we started. The Lord is at hand. He is near. And that truth, that reality is the foundation for everything else. Our peace, our hope, all of it. Christ is our peace. He is our hope, and Christ is near. Because that is true, I'd like for us to end with a hymn this morning. And um, before the team leads us in this hymn, I'd actually love to read the first verse before we, before we respond and we sing it. This hymn is called Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. And I want to encourage you as I read this to just take these words in. It says this. Christ the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn in the suffering, in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It will never be. Thank you.